Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see you today on this Thanksgiving week. I know we've got some folks traveling this week and uh, people coming in, family coming in. So I hope that uh, you have a wonderful week with family and uh, those that you'll be with this week and those that are watching online. I pray that you have a great, great week also. We're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation today, Revelation chapter number uh, 11, Revelation chapter number 11. Before I do that, as you're turning there, I want to uh, bring your attention to a couple things. I'm excited about these pies that we're going to be giving out today, so I hope that you'll take those. And uh, we have Friend Day coming up in just a couple weeks. That is on December 10th. And we, uh, we want to just have an opportunity this time of year to get people in church to hear the gospel. David Gibbs, he is the um, uh, founder of Christian Law Association. He comes every two years uh, in December, and he'll be with us this year on Friend Day. He'll be a guest speaker. He will have two services, 9.30 and 11. And uh, so Friend Day is for both services. We've got cards that we want you to uh, uh, to hand out, all the information's in the bulletin as well. And uh, to help you get excited about Friend Day, we've got uh, some gifts that we're going to give out to you as well. So the ones that bring the most friends are going to receive a gift, and our, our kids' ministry is going to do the same thing. Now, their gifts are not going to be as nice as your gifts. Um, <laughs> because uh, you give more than they give, and so we can give you uh, better gifts. Um, but uh, no, we've got some gifts that we're gonna give you, and these gifts are for y- to help you with Christmas. And so we've got three different gifts you can choose from. And uh, one is, I don't know if this is a good thing, because I'm not a video game guy, but I hear a PS5 is a pretty good gaming system. And so you could choose a PS5. So parents, take all your gifts back, invite all of your friends to church, and we just took care of your Christmas. Uh, but you can choose from a, a, a game system, for so whoever brings the most visitors get to choose from that, or or you can choose, I believe there's a, a Mansi's gift card that you could uh, use for yourself or give to your pastor if you'd like to do that for his Christmas gift. Um, that's a gift that you're going to be able to get, or, or you're going to be able to choose a gift, and that is going to be an annual pass for your family or a family of your choice to the Toledo Zoo and three season passes to um, Cedar Point. And so these are all gifts that you can give. You can give them to your grandchildren, your children, keep them for yourself. But we just thought we'd help entice you to uh, be giving, getting your friends here. And it's not just those that you give a pie to. We want you to think through everyone that you can get here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of this day. The purpose purpose of our day is not just to see how many people we can get here to church. The purpose, the sole purpose is we wanna see how many people we can get the gospel to. And so uh, we hope that you'll be a part of that and uh, be planning and preparing. We've got these cards that uh, you can take and you can hand out to as many people as you want. And uh, I know that it'll be a great day. Uh, Like I said, a guest speaker that day, David Gibbs will do a fantastic job. We'll have um, um, some treats in the morning for everyone, coffee for all those that are here between services, before services. And uh, then we'll give these prizes out, whoever is uh, gonna be the winner. How many of you have someone, or now you have more than a someone that you're thinking about bringing to church on that day? Yeah. Now, my wife asked me, she said, what's the rules for this? Do they have to be first-time guests? And um, uh, no, as long as they're a guest. Maybe they've been here before, um, but they can't be like a regular. You can't take some from the 11 o'clock service, bring them to the 930 (laughs) service, and count them as your guest. But, you know, maybe you've had your family here in the past. Maybe you've tried to get your family or friends at church, and um, you want them to hear the gospel again. I... um, uh, so it doesn't have to be a first-time guest. It's just someone that doesn't attend our church. Um, and uh, so you be thinking about that, be praying over that. And I know this will be a really special day, but that's only a couple weeks away. And then uh, I want to um, 
invite you to this as well. The first Sunday in December, we are going to have the Lord's table communion on this, on the 9.30 and 11 o'clock service as well. So that's just a couple weeks away as well. And so we want our hearts to be ready for that. And I know that's a special time for our church. And so uh, be thinking about that. We've got a lot of things uh, planned with the pies today, then coming back after Thanksgiving, we'll have communion together. We'll have friend day. We'll get into our Christmas season, our Christmas Eve service, and uh, just end this year in a very, very high note for the Lord. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing in the month of December if we saw multitudes of people saved uh, to end our year out that way. And, and I'm praying that that happens. And so uh, you be praying with this as well and inviting all of those that you can. I had a, a, a person today or this week uh, text me. She was uh, working and someone came through where she was working and gave her a track uh, from our church. And she said, I already go to church there. Uh, but she was so excited that there's people in our church that are giving tracks out. And she said on Wednesday, I want to take tracks and do the same thing. Cause she was so excited that someone would give her a track invitation to Lord invitation to our church. And so our track racks out, uh, as you're leaving those, those gospel pamphlets, we want you to take those and, uh, give those out. Uh, let's see people know Christ. All right. Revelation chapter number 11, Revelation chapter 11, we're going to continue our study here in the book of Revelation. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. The focus that we're taking upon this study, I know that we've been in here now several weeks now, a couple of months we've been at this and we're only about halfway through, and so we're going to continue this series. We'll, we'll uh, obviously take off for Friend Day. I promise you I'm not going to preach on locusts coming out of the ground, eating up a third of the human race on Friend Day. I promise you we won't do that. It's going to be a different type of message on Friend Day. Um, so uh, I know what some of you are thinking. You're, you're looking three weeks from now, where are we going to be in Revelation? That's, I'm not bringing my friend to that one. Um, but uh, I hope that this has been a, a, a help to you. Our goal of studying, whether it's Book of Revelation or we're studying 1 Corinthians on Wednesdays uh, or any other Bible verse or chapter or, or book that we study, it's so that you understand what God is trying to say to you. We understand who wrote it. We understand who he wrote it to. We understand why he wrote it. And then the application uh, that is, is found in the Word of God. We don't want to find what we want the Word of God to say. We want to know what God has to say to us. And that's the way we want to study God's Word. And so we come to chapter number 11. Now, let's begin reading in verse number 1. And John is the author, and John is writing this. And this is John saying in verse number 1 of chapter 11, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, or a measuring stick, a, a ruler. And the angel said, uh, stood and saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. We find this, this uh, time period of, of 40 and two months or three and a half years. We go into verse number three, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. This again is, if you add those days up, three and a half years. This is the time period that we're studying, the, the second half for the, the great tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period. The last part of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, is known as the Great Tribulation. These are the, the trumpets that we find. The seals are opened up, and then the, the uh, trumpets that we've been studying are through this part of the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And so we come to a, a point in this where John says, I'm told to do something. Now, what's interesting in verse number one and two, he's told to measure something, but this thing that he is told to measure as of today, it doesn't even exist. It's the temple. Now, we're going we're gonna to look at today when prophets are troubled or prophets, prophets are persecuted in chapter number 11. 
it's, it's not abnormal for Christians to suffer persecution. Now, it may be, it may seem abnormal or unusual for us in America, in, in the West, to endure persecution, but, but from generations since Christ, persecution was something that Christians faced. Christ faced it. He went to the cross. And I want to remind you that the disciples faced persecution. They were killed for preaching the gospel. And in through the first century church, Christians were persecuted. And all through the generation since Christ, Christians were persecuted. They were persecuted for, for preaching the gospel, for, for believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Uh, uh, Christians were, were burned at the stakes. They were boiled in oil. The just horrible, horrific things have happened through the centuries to, to believers of Jesus Christ. We come to this passage of Scripture as well, where there's going to be two witnesses that are going to come on the scene during the, the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years of the Tribulation. There's going to be these two witnesses that are going to come, and they're going to be prophesying and preaching uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we find in this verse as well, in verse number two, the, the Bible tells us this, in the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. This holy city is Jerusalem. Now, it's, it's interesting. We, uh, even today in the news, you can open up the newspaper, read however you get your news or watch the news. And in Jerusalem, Israel is, is just a, a major part of the, of the news cycle. It's consuming everything. And there's a battle for this city, Jerusalem. Matter of fact, there's, there's, I don't believe there's ever going to be peace in our time uh, in, in, in Israel because the, the battle is for Jerusalem. Who, who gets Jerusalem? And no one's willing to give up Jerusalem because Jerusalem is a holy city. So the, the city that we're finding John is, is Jerusalem. The time is the great tribulation that lasts three and a half years, the, the, the 40 and, and two months, the, the last three and a half years of this great tribulation. And uh, he's told this to, to take this rod and, and measure out this temple. So the problem would be this, there's not a temple today. So we find in verse number 11 that there's an event or there's a prophecy, if you will, that is going to have to be fulfilled in order for uh, chapter number 11 to happen. There's, there's two prophecies. One, I just thought it would be good for us to see this today. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ezekiel, if you would please, the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament, in chapter number 36. There's two things that must happen in order for chapter number 11 to take place. One, I want you to see, has already happened. In chapter 36 of the book of Ezekiel, and I want you to turn with me to the verse 24. And I want you to see what God says all the way back in Ezekiel. Now, I want you to understand this. Now, uh, this, this, this is a, maybe a little bit of a history lesson for us to understand here today. And it would help us understand even what's happening in Israel today. There, there's protests that are happening all around this world over who has the rights to Israel. Now, I don't have the time to, to go through all of this, or we wouldn't get to chapter number 11 today, but, but this is important for us to understand, that God calls out Abraham from, from Ur the Chaldees, and he says of Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great and mighty nation, the, the, the nation of Israel. It's through Abraham's seed that the Messiah is going to come. And he says to Abraham, as he brings Abraham into what is now known as Israel, he says, all of this I'm going to give to you your seed as, as far as you can see north and south and east and west. And so it was God that gave the land of Israel to Abraham. Now, what right does God have to give the land to Israel? And I would say this, the man that created, or the one that created this world has the right to give it to who he wants to give it to. And it's very clear in scripture that God gave it to Israel. Now, as he gave it to Israel, he promised Israel that he'll bless Israel. And what he said to Israel is, you have to worship me and me alone. And, and, and Israel then began to rebel against God. 
after Solomon died and the, the uh, uh, 10 tribes uh, separated themselves from the two tribes. And, and as the two tribes there uh, uh, worshiped in Jerusalem, there was 10 tribes that, that separated themselves and Israel was divided. And what happened with those 10 tribes is, is the king said this, my fear is that Israel, these 10 tribes are gonna go connect themselves with these other two tribes and reinstate themselves because they miss worshiping in Jerusalem. And so what does he do? He builds in Dan or Eldan and Bethel or El Bethel. He builds in new, those two locations. He builds a place for Israel, the 10 tribes, to worship. Yet they fail. They fail to worship God and God alone. They go back to worshiping the gods of Egypt, the golden calf, and, and the gods of the land there of Israel, the, the heathen that are in that land. And they begin idol worshiping. And God sends, God sends his prophets continually for generations, causing Israel to see that they're, they've turned from God and they're worshiping other idols. And God gives them chance after chance after chance. And as soon as then God has had enough, what does he do? He brings in the Assyrian army into the 10 tribes and the Assyrian army comes in and takes the 10 tribes out of Israel and scatters them around the world. Judah, the two tribes in the lower part of Israel, they worship in Jerusalem. They rebel against God. You could read about this in the Kings and the Chronicles. They rebel against God and God sends Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys Jerusalem. And from that time, from that time, Israel or the Jews have been scattered. Now, there has been a remnant of some left there in Israel during the time of Christ, but there's Jews, even at the time of Christ, there's Jews that are scattered all over Asia Minor. And we find that as Paul is traveling all over the known world, preaching the gospel, he's preaching to Jews. The day of Pentecost, Jews are coming from all over the known world to come back to Ju uh, Jerusalem uh, uh, for the feast. And, and that's why there were so many with different tongues that are hearing the gospel preached in their own tongue and get saved that day because, because they've lived all over. So since that time of scattering, Israel has been scattered. But Ezekiel says this. He prophesies this in verse number 24. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you into your own land. When did this happen? After World War II, what happens? All the Jews are coming back to Israel and they proclaim a nation state of Israel. When that happened, when that happened, what, what is fulfilled? The prophecy that God is going to bring all of them back. So from all the nations of the world, they came back to Israel, the land of Israel, and God established Israel at that time. Listen to me here. Please hear me today. Despite what you're seeing, despite what you're reading, Israel is not, not an occupier in the land. The land belongs to Israel. That would be like your children saying, my parents are occupying my home. No, no, your parents bought the home. It's theirs. They belong there. Israel belongs in the land. Why? Because the one that created that land gave it to Israel and established Israel there and said through his word, I'm going to bring Israel back. And look with me in verse number 24. And will bring you into what? Your own land. Oh, I know this is not popular. But Israel owns that land. If you're a biblicist, if you believe the Bible, then you have to understand that God gave this land to Israel. And since that time in the 40s, Israel then coming back and having that land, it's a prophecy that has been fulfilled. Now, there's a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. So we see a prophecy in Ezekiel that has been now fulfilled. Now we see in, in uh, Revelation chapter number 11, a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. And that is this, in this holy city of Jerusalem, there is going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt. John is told to measure this temple. 
Now, what is so interesting, there is much plans today to rebuild this temple. I've been to Israel on two different occasions, and if you go into the, the, the temple museum, there are, there are many Jews that are ready to build the temple. The problem is this, they are not allowed to build the temple upon the Temple Mount because the Muslims control the Temple Mount. And on top of the Temple Mount sits the Dome of the Rock. Also, what's on the Dome of the Rock, the Dome of the Rock actually is not a mosque like many believe it is. It's, it's, a, it's a holy site. But there is the largest mosque that sits there as well off to the side. And so uh, the Muslims control that Temple Mount where the, where the uh, temple is supposed to sit. How this is going to happen, I don't know. But we know because of the word of God tells us, and we're going to look in some other scripture as well, that there's going to be a temple that is going to be rebuilt. Solomon's temple, the second temple during Ezra's day, and then that temple, the temple that was there when Jesus was alive, was not Solomon's temple because Solomon's temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and then it was rebuilt under Ezra. Uh, you read through that, the second temple, and, and the third temple is going to be rebuilt, and it's in the third temple that the Antichrist is going to sit and proclaim himself to be God. So the Jews... At the Western Wall, you've, you've seen pictures of the Jews. I've, again, I've been there on two different occasions, and I've touched that Western Wall. And, and why are the Jews, if you, if you remember seeing pictures of the Jews going and, and praying at this wall, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, that's the closest the Jews can get to the temple, where the temple sits, because they're not allowed up on top of the Temple Mount. And what are they praying when they come to that temple? They're praying mainly two things. They're praying for the Messiah to come, which is sad because the Messiah has already come. And the second thing that they're building is the, or praying is the building of the temple, or the rebuilding of the temple. That is what's being said there and being prayed as they come to that place. You say, so why is all of this important? It's all, it's all important, number one, for us to understand the Bible. Number two, it's important for us to understand chapter number 11. Israel is in the land. The temple in chapter number 11 is built. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter number 24, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be in a, a couple different places in Scripture because I want you to understand this and see this today. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 15. Jesus speaking here. Now, this is not Paul. This is not... The, the apostles, this is Jesus himself speaking, prophesying, foretelling of the events to come. He says this in verse number 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, this is an event that's going to happen, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, stand in the holy place. What's the holy place? The holy city is Jerusalem. The holy place is the, the temple. So Jesus is prophesying, saying, when you see this event, this abomination of desolation, and we're going to see what that is in just a moment. When you see this, Daniel is prophesying of this. He says, so when you see this happening in that holy place, then let them which be in Judah flee into the mountains. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse number 27. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Jesus is prophesying of this time. And he says, when you see, when you see this event take place, the abomination of desolation, when you see this taking place in the holy place, in the holy city, in the holy temple, it is going to be the worst situation this world has ever known. It's going to be great trouble. Well, what is this? What is this? abomination of desolation. I want you to go with me to 2 Thessalonians, if you would, please. Paul is writing this. Remember, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. They're intrigued of this second coming of the Lord. And we see much of what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture. Now look with me in chapter number 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's begin reading in verse number 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a great falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is God, called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So, so Jesus says, I want you to be careful of this. I want you to be watchful of this, the abomination of desolation. And then Paul is telling us what that event is. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that that abomination of desolation is this. When the Antichrist comes and sits in the temple, in the holy city, in the holy temple, and this is what he does. He proclaims himself to be God. He says, I'm God, and, and the Jews are going to, uh, 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 at first, go along with this. He's going to bring peace to it. This is what they're praying for. Remember, the Jews today, they're praying that the Messiah is going to come. They're praying that the temple is going to be rebuilt. And guess what the Antichrist is going to do? He's going to fool them. He's going to pretend that he is the Messiah that has come, and he is the one that's going to be, bring peace, set up his kingdom. And guess where he's going to do it from? The temple. The temple. And so he's going to do this in the middle of that seven-year period of the tribulation. Go back with me, if you would, please, in Revelation. And so I go through all of that prophecy to show you the first couple verses here so that we don't miss this. He's, he's going in and he's measuring the temple. This is the time that the Antichrist is setting himself up in that temple, saying, I am God causing the world to worship him, causing the world to bow to him, taking his mark. And he says, I want you to measure these things. And as, as you're doing this, I also, he then brings some attention to these two witnesses that are going to rise. He says, I'll give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. sackcloth. In verse number four, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So at this time, when the Antichrist is in Jerusalem, he's sitting in the temple, he's proclaiming himself to be God. There's going to be these two witnesses. They're going to come and they're going to begin to prophesy, the Bible tells us this. Now, God always has his prophets. God always warns through his prophets. Noah was one that God warned of, and, and Ezekiel is, is a prophet that God gave warning through, and Isaiah and Jeremiah, and all through time, God is consistently, what is he doing? He's sending prophets, for what reason? To preach the truth to mankind. This continues to show that God is revealing truth to those that want to hear it. And so I want us to look today at these, these two prophets and study these two prophets here today. I want you to see in verse number three, the Bible says this, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. And so I want you to see, first of all, as we study these, these prophets here today and some attributes about these prophets, they are divinely prepared. These two prophets are divinely prepared. And when we see in verse number four, the Bible says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Olive trees represent fruitfulness and candlesticks represent light. And what's interesting in these days, as John is writing, the lamps burned with olive oil. Olive oil is a, it was, a, was a, a necessity during these times. It was used for so many things, especially it was used for light. That was the oil they put in lamps, and they would light the lamps, and that lamp would bring light. Lamps burned this olive oil, and oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. 
So what we see here in verse number four, verse number three, and I will give them power unto my two witnesses. In verse number four, there are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. What is showing this? These two that are preaching the gospel, these two that are prophesying of the Lord are filled with his spirit. We see that these two are divinely persuaded. Now we have false prophets that are proclaiming to be the antichrist. We have, we have or be, being Christ, we have all through the ages. We have false teachers and false preachers. The Antichrist himself is going to be a false teacher and a false preacher proclaiming himself to be God. But I want you to see the attributes of these two men. These two men are not false teachers. These two men are two men that are prophesying under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so they're divinely prepared. God's work is done in God's power. Now, there, I believe there's some lessons here that we need to see here as well. These men will be divinely prepared for the, from the pow, by the power of the Spirit of God. And something as I want us to understand that God is no different there than he is today. If we're going to do God's work, we need God's power. God's church needs God's power. The problem is this, what Paul said in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. That falling away is this, not only just people rejecting Christ and falling away from the faith, but those that still are involved that were just apathetic. Or you could say this, they're powerless Christians. And unfortunately, there's many today that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They've trusted Christ as their Savior, but they're living powerless lives. There's some here in this room today. You're powerless. Oh, I'm not saying that you don't know Christ. You, you're saved, but you're not living under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. You're not filled with the Spirit. You're not doing what he has called you to do. You're not exhibiting the gifts that he's given you. You're powerless in your, in your job. You're powerless in your family. You're powerless in your service to the Lord. And if we're going to do God's work, we must do it with God's power, and God's power comes through his Spirit. It's the same as we see here. And so we see these two olive trees, two candlesticks. It's showing us these two have the power of the Spirit. The Bible also tells us this in verse number three, that they're clothed in sackcloth. What does that illustrate? What does that show us this? It's a brokenness. It's a brokenness. These two are not preaching and proclaiming with pride and arrogance. Sometimes if we're not careful, Christian, we can come across, even when we're preaching on hell and damnation, like, like we're better than everyone else. God forbid that we as Christians, when we speak of hell and preach on hell, that we're not broken over it. I, I say with, 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 with authority from God's word, What's happening in Israel today? Israel has the right to the land. Their right to the land is not because of their superpower. It's not because of their military might. It's because of God. But my heart grieves. My heart grieves that almost some 11,000 and probably more than that, some 11,000 Palestinians have died. And if they have died without Jesus Christ, a majority of them probably have because they don't believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ either. They are spending eternity in a devil's hell. That ought to grieve us that know the truth. That ought to grieve us. The thought of any soul stepping out into eternity without Christ ought to bring us to a place of brokenness. There is no way that a Christian that is right with God, filled with the Spirit, could ever be pleased that their worst enemy, their greatest persecutor, would die and spend eternity in hell. If that's the case, then you don't understand truly hell. It is separation from God for all of eternity. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the grace of God that is long-suffering, that gave his son to die so that mankind could be redeemed back to him. This ought to cause us, as it's causing these prophets, to be broken 
as they're proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these men are divinely prepared. I want you to see as well, these men are divinely protected. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse number five and six. The Bible says, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as you will. These men, their power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And these men, though, are, are divinely protected. They have power over, over drought. They have power over plagues, the Bible says. They have power over disease, as they will. God has allowed these two men during this time of great tribulation to control the weather, to control disease, to control things that are happening on the earth. And as they're doing this, they're prophesying, what's the purpose of it? To cause mankind to repent and turn to God. Now, some, some think this, because I know, I know what some are asking. Who are these two men? And the reality is this, we don't know. You say, how don't you know? Because the Bible doesn't tell us. There are some that believe, and, 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 and if, if it is these two men, then, then you know, God can do as he wants. There's some that believe that these two men are Elijah and Moses. I personally believe, and this is my own personal opinion uh, on who these two men are, I seem to believe that it's Enoch and Elijah. The reason I believe it's Enoch and Elijah is those are the two men have that have never died. And the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. Enoch was taken and Elijah was taken. These two men are going to die. They're going to be killed in the lay in the street, and then they're going to rise again. And so it would prove that Bible is true. It's appointed the men once to die. So these two men would uh, uh, come back and preach. Again, I am just telling you what my personal thoughts on that is. You can have a difference of opinion on that, and we can still be friends. Jude tells us something about Enoch, go with me just a few pages over to Jude. Jude is, 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 is telling us of this man Enoch, and this is another reason why I believe it's, it's Enoch. Again, just me personally. In verse number 14 of the book of Jude, the Bible says this, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Enoch was a prophet of the Lord. Enoch was proclaiming and declaring that Jesus Christ was coming with ten thousand of saints. And this was just seven generations from Adam. This is before the flood. This is what Enoch was prophesying. So it would not be out of character that Enoch, that's his role, that is his job here in Revelation chapter 11. He's still prophesying that the Lord is coming. The Lord repent in Elijah as well. So God's work done God's way, I want you to write this down. God's work done God's way is going to bring God's protection. It's another, another lesson that we can learn out of Revelation chapter number 11. God's work done God's way is going to bring God's protection. Here, these men are going to be prophesying in the midst of the great tribulation against, against the Antichrist and all the evilness that's happening in this world, but there's protection there. The Bible says, the verses we read, that no man can harm them. Oh, they're going to try to be harmed. Oh, they're going to bring everything against them, but no one can harm them. Why? Because God's hand is upon them. These men are divinely protected. Now, look with me in verse number seven. I, can, I need to hurry. Verse number seven, and when they shall be finished, circle that or just kind of note that in your, in your Bible there, and when they shall have finished. Finished what? Their testimony. When what God sent them to do is done. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city or Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Again, it tells us again how we know this is Jerusalem because that's where the Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days 
and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. So we find that these two men are going to be killed. And you, and you say this, wait a minute. Uh, uh, no, number three, write this down. They're persecuted by the Antichrist. So number one, we see with these, two, these prophets, number one, they are divinely prepared by God, by his spirit. Number two, they're divinely protected. They cannot be touched. But then number three, they are persecuted by the Antichrist and they're killed. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said they're divinely protected by God. That's why I wanted you to write down and put verse number seven. And when they have finished their testimony, that beast there is the Antichrist. The fury of hell is going to burst upon these two witnesses. Only when God says it's time will the Antichrist have power? The people are going to rejoice because they despise the message of these prophets and what these prophets are doing. They're finished with God's plan that he has there at that time. The beast only has power to touch them when God allows it. There's a lesson I find in this passage of Scripture that we can apply today. That lesson is simply this. Satan has no power, only what God allows. Remember what he said to Job? God, I, I, I could... I, Job would curse you, and, but you won't let me touch him. It seems the world says this. They're rejoicing. This is going to be a time where the, the killing of these two are going to promote the beast. They're, the beast here, the Antichrist, is going to be praised and is going to be worshipped. Why? Because these two men that are representatives of God, they are going to die, and the Antichrist is going to be one that kills them. Instead of the earth saying, let's listen to these two men, let's obey these two men, look at the power these two men have, they, instead they get angry with the mess and they, they go against that message and they rejoice and they lift up this Antichrist that kills these. And what do they say? Look at the power of this Antichrist. He is the one. He is all powerful. He is God because look at the might and the strength that he has. And the problem is this, it's only for a time. Sometimes if we're not careful, world, uh, church, we live in a world where it seems like evil is winning. It seems, it seems like Satan is just getting another foothold. I got a, a, a news article just the other day, and it said this, all the nations of the world are turning on Israel. There's great political pressure because of what Israel is doing, and it seems almost hopeless. And you see that, and you see all the protesting that's happening all around the world. In those of us that are Bible believers, if we're not careful, we can say this. It seems like evil is prevailing. It seems like evil is winning. I want you to know this. Evil is not prevailing and evil is not winning. It's all coming into place. God has a plan. Don't let the events of this world cause you to fear and doubt God. Don't let what it seems at the moment that Satan is winning. Stop looking at a moment in time and look at the big picture. God is going to prevail. Oh, listen to me. It doesn't matter what's happening in this world. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. It doesn't matter the obstacles you're going through. You say, it just seems like evil is prevailing. Yes, but only for a moment. There's God. There's God. In the midst of all of this destruction, when the Antichrist slays these prophets, all the world is going to rejoice. Their bodies are going to be left in the streets. Why are their bodies left in the streets? It's a mockery. Who are these men? You know, it's saying, who are these men and who is their God? The Bible says they're not even going to care enough to bury them. They're going to leave them there. And why do they leave them there? As a testimony that the Antichrist is greater. But again, it's only for a time. 
Oh, they may rejoice for three and a half days thinking the Antichrist has all the power. They may rejoice for three and a half days thinking the Antichrist has won. But oh, my friend, God will prevail. It reminded me for those three days that Jesus lay in that tomb, Satan thought he won. All of hell was rejoicing, thinking that they won. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had died. He was slain. He was in the grave. They, they had won. But oh, on that third day, when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, Satan had no more victory. Death had no more sting. Hell had no more power. Why? Because Jesus Christ has won. He's won. Look with me, number four. Look with me with number four. Verse number 11, the Bible says this, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. The spirit of God once again at work. He enters into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw it. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Would you write this down? They are supernaturally revived. They're persecuted until their time is finished. The task that God called them to do. And then he brings them home. I think that's the greatest, the greatest story that we as Christians can have. Listen to me. Our life isn't over. Death how can you scare a Christian with death? It's heaven. How can we be intimidated by death? Paul says, oh, death, where is I staying? How is that? Because we have everlasting life through Jesus Christ. We have heaven to look forward to. Here we find in verse number four, they are supernaturally revived. They're persecuted. But I want you to see something here. During the time of their persecution, they have no need to fear the evil one. Why? Because God is in control. The, these are lessons that I want us to get today. You and I don't need to fear the evil one. Why? Because God is in control. Satan might be able to harm us here upon this earth, but you know what he cannot do? He can't take heaven from you. He can't take salvation from you. He can't touch what God has said is off limits. We're again reminded there is a God in glory and, and there is nothing that Satan can do. Here again, we find that these men are ascended up to heaven in a cloud. That is not one of the white clouds from the sky come down to the earth and pick them up. What is that cloud that's the same thing that we have seen all through the book of Revelation? They are seen surrounded by God's glory. And what happens? Those that are there, the remnant that are there that see it, they become fearful. They realize God has power. And what happens? Look what the Bible says. And great fear fell upon them which saw it. Great fear fell upon them. And then lastly, I want you to see this. These two witnesses... Verse number 13 and 14, in the same hour was there a great earthquake and a tenth part of the city fell. In the, in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000 and the remnant were frightened or afraid and what they do, they gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past and behold, the third woe was coming quickly. Would you write this down? They succeeded in their message. What was their success? God received glory. What's the lesson I find here for us here today that I can take from Revelation chapter 10 or from Revelation chapter 11? And that is this. Our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel and we need to succeed in what God has called us to. Why? So that he receives glory. Our lives aren't for us. Our lives, listen to me, our lives are not 
it's not all about the troubles and the persecution and the trials we face on this earth. It's going to be over. One of the greatest passages in the Bible is this, and God shall wipe away all of their tears, and there's no more pain, and there's no more death, and there's no more sickness, and there's no more cancer. Oh, listen to me. There's no more disease, and there's no more sickness, and you're not going to be at another funeral, and you're not going to ever hear the word cancer, and there's not going to be any more sin, and there's not going to be any more broken homes, and there's not going to be any more broken marriages, and there's not going to be many more rebellious young people. Oh, listen to me. There, all of that is going to be gone. Why? Because God wins. He's going to receive glory. In the midst of the worst of tribulation, God is still at work to receive glory. You know what? I wrote this down. And I want you to apply this to your situations today. All is not lost. All is not hopeless. Because there's God. All is not lost. All is not hopeless because there's God. In the three and a half years or three and a half days, it seemed bleak. It seems as the Antichrist has won, but we see God's power revealed once again. Every time Satan thinks he wins, God shows his power. And every time Satan thinks he's won in your life, God shows his power. I like the book of Job. What does God do? Satan took everything from Job except Job's life. And what did God do? Restored it even more. These these men prophesying, doing what God's called them to do, it seems like Satan has won, the Antichrist has won. And what does God do? He brings them back to life and ascends them to heaven. God wins. See, as we study the book of Revelation, we're not studying it to be scared. We're not studying it for nightmares. We're not studying it, again, all of this. And all of those things are there. We're studying this to see God in all of his power, and all of his majesty, and all of his authority. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ. Hear me today. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is such good news. This is why every time we come, we rejoice because we have victory because Jesus Christ has won. He went to the cross. He shed his blood so that you and I could be redeemed back to God. He was placed in that grave, and three days later, he rose again, conquering death so that you and I could have everlasting life. We have won. We will prevail. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. We find here Satan thinks he is going to win. God says, no, 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 come on. And when he brings them up, all those around fear God and God receives glory. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org. And we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.